Thank you. Good morning. I invite you to come magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Before I make announcements, I want to have a, a highlight of volunteers. Every Sunday I want to highlight different volunteers and the amazing volunteers yesterday who provided 80 dinners for the funeral. Would you all stand? Anyone who was involved in that, would you please stand? Please, don't be shy. I know you didn't do it. Please stand. 80 dinners. Yes, thank you. You see, without volunteers, I'd be preaching to an empty church. Because you have put this church here. You have built this church. You have provided the ministry. You give your money. You give your time. And it makes a difference in the church and it makes a difference in the community. And I want to thank you and thank our volunteers. Every Sunday, if I remember, don't forget, I want to highlight a different group of volunteers. And I want to have a Julie come up. She has, um, I just asked her to do this. She would do a better job than me. She has an amazing ministry here and she'll do a lot better job explaining I'm looking for volunteers. <laughs> I am looking for eight volunteers. I already have somebody who's taken one. Um, these are um, already addressed envelopes and cards to our to eight of our college crew um, that are in college. And so, if you, I need eight people to stand up, and I'll pass out your card on my way back to my seat. And I'm going to have these for the next for every month or every week, every Sunday in February. So. Seek me out if you don't get one today, and um, would love for you to send a little note to our college crew. Thank you. And you can also um, uh, contact Julie if you'd like to be part of the uh, uh, Casserole Caravan. It's a ministry uh, that formalizes a way that we can provide meals for people who need them when they're going through medical issues or whatever and she told me this morning that did you say all were filled all were filled praise God for that if you'd like to be part of this it works really easy you'll get an email with people who need meals when and the email isn't so you can fill 30 dinners you pick whatever you want to do and send it in it's really simple so um, we really thank God for that the rest of the announcements are here in the bulletin, and feel free to make sure you check those out. Let us continue to prepare our hearts for worship. Will you stand, if you are able, for our call to worship printed in your bulletin? Happy are those who worship the Lord and delight in God's precepts. They are gracious, merciful, and righteous. They will never be moved. And we'll continue our worship and remain standing for the opening hymn, we have a story to tell to the nations, number 569.
You may be seated. And let us join together in our opening prayer today, which is Isaiah 58. You do not desire a fast of sackcloth and ashes, but a fast of righteousness. You ask us to loose the bonds of injustice, undo the thongs of the yoke, and set the captives free. Train our hearts to do what is right, O God, not what is easy. May we live our days among the righteous, that we may never be moved, but dwell secure in your mercy and your grace. Amen. And if the children would like to join me down front. Please turn in your prayer hymn to number 170, uh, the prayer hymn 175. You may remain seated.
as we exercise our great privilege of prayer, what I would like to do, when we begin to pray, we're going to have one minute where we pray silently. I doubt there's much time in our lives in the 21st century to have one minute of silence where we concentrate upon God. And I want to invite you during the pastoral prayer, you are free to come and kneel at the altar and go back or just pray in your pew. But you can come forward if you want. And when you're done praying, just sit back down or, or leave the altar after the Lord's Prayer, whatever. But we're going to have a minute. It's going to sound, the minute's going to feel like a long time when there's silence. But this is opportunity for us to quiet our hearts and focus upon the reason we're at church this morning. And that's because of God. And I will time it. Almighty and holy and righteous, loving God. How we are in awe of your presence. How we are humbled by your concern and love for us. How we are amazed by how you work and have worked in our lives as we look back on our lives. We see so many ways you worked and we didn't even know it. Times when you protected us, times when you opened some doors or closed others. And looking back, we see how it worked out. We praise you for that. But in real time, we confess, Lord, we struggle with with not knowing what tomorrow holds. We struggle with not being in control of things in our life. For we like to control things. We like to manage things. But remind us at this moment, Lord, that you have given us today. And this day will be perfect if we invite our Lord and Savior Jesus to be a part of it. Help us to focus on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And forgive us where we have failed this week where we've forgotten you or we've said things we shouldn't have said or we've not said things that maybe we should have said. Forgive us when we've taken the easy way and not the right way. And give us courage to do what glorifies you even if people around us 
may criticize. You've created us in your image, Almighty God. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to work in our soul life to conform us to the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray for our congregation, for our new pastor and his wife, Jeff and Suzanne Bandy. Prepare them and the church as they come. May their ministry be richly blessed here. We pray for those uh, who have lost loved ones and still grieve. May your healing be upon them. We pray for our members and friends who have been faithful and attended and have given of their time and money, but they can't be here now because they're, they're sick or they're, they have physical issues or they don't have a way to church. And we thank you for them and we lift them up to you that they would be encouraged. And we thank you for their, for their witness and their testimony. We pray for our families, our extended families, our children, our grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren, that they would grow up to be a follower of you, that you would protect them each day from the evil one that would want to destroy their mind, body, soul, and spirit. Lord, we truly are infants when it comes to praying but you've taught us how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now if our ushers will come forward for our offering.
join me in the prayer of dedication. Our great provider, source of every good gift, we thank you for the light you shine in our lives. We praise you for the joy you bring to our hearts. Receive the gifts we bring before you this day, that they may loose the bonds of injustice, undo the thongs of the yoke, feed the hungry, and let the oppressed go free. Bless this offering and the ministry it supports, that your light may chase away the shadows in places lost to hopelessness and despair. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And if you would remain standing for our gospel lesson, which is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 11 through 20. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Amen.
That was beautiful. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Carol and Pam and Glenn and Erica. Thank you. That was... I choose you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I want to, before I start, just uh, thank all of you for your tremendous kindness uh, towards us as, as I've taken on this temporary responsibility here in the church for the month of February. It's my great privilege to do so. I covet your prayers, and I love your kindness. And thank you so much. Um, if you will join me for a moment of silent prayer so we can prepare our hearts for the Holy Spirit to speak to us through God's Word. Amen. I have um, worshipped and served in a lot of different, uh, uh, not a lot, relatively a number of denominations, churches and experiences. Um, My father was Jewish. My mother was a Missouri Synod Lutheran. Had she not died when I was a kid, I would have been a Missouri Synod Lutheran. My dad married a Presbyterian. I was that for a while and then a Congregationalist the Congregational Church, which became UCC. I was Catholic educated in Catholic high school. I got licensed to preach in a Baptist church. I went to vacation Bible school on a Church of Christ and Christian Union in Columbus two weeks every year. We worked in the uh, Disciples of Christ Children's Home in Kentucky, Pam and I did. And I can't remember, there's others, I can't remember them all, but... <clears throat> Oh, and I worked as a staff member in United Methodist Church, and I'm ordained in the Free Methodist Church USA. And, of course, in the military, you serve everybody. And I'm not just telling you this because I want to tell you my story. That's not the point. But the point is that I have found in any venue I've been in that every church and every denomination has their own special things they like in the way to do things. They, they, they do things a certain way, the worship, the liturgy, the ambiance. The, the beliefs, the practices, they're all different and, and they all mean a lot to the people who are in that. And even within denominations, within a denomination, each church can be a little different. Now, uh, I didn't know this, so don't think I just am so smart. I, I knew this all my life. But I did not know there are 8 billion people that live on earth right now. I actually found a counter and it counts how many people are dying and being born, like in real time. I mean, estimated, of course. And of the 8 billion people in America, two, or in the world, 2.6 billion are Christians. Now, do you have any idea how many Christian sects and denominations exist in the world? I know, you wouldn't probably. I had no idea. I was going to name some, but then I realized the number was over 40,000. Over 40,000 in the world. And they all have their own attributes. But, but what I want to center on today is what does Jesus say are the distinctives of our faith? What are the attributes that matter to Him? In His very first sermon that we know of, the Sermon on the Mount, what are the attributes that matter to Him? And uh, those attributes, we've talked about it, and I'm going to uh, talk and explain 
uh, more what I think Jesus was saying when he was using the metaphors of salt and light. But to, to set up the flow, we have to see this passage in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, what came before the passage you read today? The Beatitudes. Now, um, when you look at the language, some, I don't want you to glaze over when I say this. When you look at the language, um, uh, the pronouns, plural, Jesus uses a third-person plural pronoun in the Beatitudes, and you'll see he says, those who are mourned, those who are me, those who are hungry, the merciful, all that. It, it's, it's third person. But when we start reading the verses that we had, he automatically switches to second person plural. Instead of they, them, those, you. And of course, in English, uh, oh, there's some teachers here, I don't want to mess this up. You can be plural or singular, right? Uh, but, okay. So, and that's significant because when we read the Scripture, Jesus goes from those who are this and those who are that, and then... Then he goes to the you, and he says, and he says, blessed are you when you're insulted. And when they persecute you, when they find all evil against you, rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. So it's in the context of this verse, the Beatitudes, and then this verse of the persecution and what we face and the kind of world we live in, which is hostile to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is an offense to the world. So it's within that context that then Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth. He's telling this whole crowd, you are the salt of the earth. And I thought, what does that mean? Salt of the earth. And I started researching and looking. And in the Old Testament, salt uh, really stood for about three things. And when I read this verse, You'll probably pick it up in Leviticus. Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. So salt involved a covenantal relationship between God and us. Salt. And then uh, in other scriptures, I don't want to read all of them because we'll go way past time, but it stands for wisdom. And it also stands for sacrifice. In the sacrifices, they use salt in the sacrifices. And so when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, they had heard the term salt if they went to the temple at all and the scriptures were read. But what did the first century people hear when Jesus said salt? Because in the first century, salt was used for two things. And you who are farmers and, and nature people who... who make things and all that kind of stuff, have all that talent, you know that salt uh, has at least two properties. And in the first century, they knew this. Salt uh, was for flavoring. It enhanced whatever food it touched. In other words, salt improved whatever it touched. Now, they didn't know about high blood pressure and all, but when you use metaphors or examples in the Scripture, all metaphors and examples, if you take it to a logical conclusion, they fail. We don't do it. We do look at it face value. What was Jesus trying to say? And so, so it was for flavoring and the other was for preservation. Salt keeps food from degrading and getting bacteria. I mean, <clears throat> how do people keep things from spoiling? They use salt. So this was the first century people. When they were on that hill <clears throat> and Jesus was speaking, <clears throat> excuse me, this is what they knew about salt. 
<clears throat> now, salt has a profound effect on whatever it touches, right? And now, I meant to ask Dr. Cook this, but because uh, he's a chemist and he will know all the properties. Am I right? I, I meant to look this up and appear really intelligent on this. It, is salt sodium chloride, doctor? Ah, got it right. Salt is sodium chloride. And, and it has a profound effect on whatever it, it touches. And what I believe Jesus was saying, that the Christian attribute that Jesus is talking about when he says you, very personal, you are the salt of the earth, is that Jesus says you make things better when you're present. You make things better when you're present. You bring a healing quality. See, the power of Christ is profound in us. And because the power of Christ is so profound, uh, like salt, which is profound, you can taste it when it's, you can taste it wherever it is. It has an intrinsic quality. Salt has an intrinsic quality. Christ has that intrinsic quality in us so that when we enter a room, the room is better. When we enter church and Christ is in us, the worship is better. When you enter the, your, your, your family reunion, you are salt of the earth and you have a profound impact upon that group without doing anything because Christ is in you. Christ in us when we go to the workplace, when we go to the doctor, when we go to Walmart, when we go to all the, whatever we are, Christ says, you're the salt of the earth. And it's profound and it's powerful. Now, what does that mean? Well, you have to look back at the Beatitudes. Because when he said, you're the salt of the earth, this is the metaphor, the attribute. What are the attributes of the Christian? And this is why we make such impact if we allow Jesus to be the salt in our life. Because this is what we become. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When we let Christ live through us, we know we live with this need. I need God. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. We know we need God. Blessed are those who mourn. Sin makes us sad. When we don't please God, it makes us sad. We come to church and we pray. We take communion. We ask God's forgiveness. And when we see the sin of others, it's not that we say, oh, that's such a terrible person. It makes us sad because we know it makes God sad. And these are the attributes that Christ meets in us. Blessed are the meek, humble. We need some humility in this society, don't we? Well, the Christian brings it every day when we walk in. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. We Christians know that our number one need is not internet connectivity. I mean, that's important. But the number one need of the Christian is to know God. To know God. And to worship Him. We have this hunger to know God and to grow in Christ. Blessed are the merciful. We don't give people what they deserve. We are a merciful people. We are a forgiving people. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. We don't think the worst motives in others. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. 
We want people to come together. We want to build coalitions and community. This is the people we are. This is what God calls us to be. This is what it means to be salt of the earth. So when we bring that to the community, and we bring that to the school, and we bring that to the workplace, and we bring that to the grocery store, and we bring that to our families, salt of the earth, that's powerful. That's what God wants. That's what it means. But... I'll say this. You want to have an impact in life? You want to make a difference? You and I, what we need most isn't means. It's knees. We need knees. We need to get on our knees. Not literally some... (laughs) I can get on my knees. I don't know if I'll get up. I think I can, but... You may not literally be able to get on your knees, but knees to bow before God and say, God, make me an instrument of your peace. Work in me that that I can be the salt wherever I am. That's where we make a difference. And yet, what does Jesus say? Now, Dr. Cook will know that he probably knows that Jesus was using a play on words because he said, well, what happens if the salt loses saltiness? And I believe there is some debate, but not much. I don't believe that salt can lose taste. Is that right? At least it's not supposed to, but there's some debate among scientists. Maybe it can. <clears throat> but salt is salt. Uh, Jesus used a, metaf- uh, a, a, a play on words in Aramaic. He used the word that stands for foolishness. And so what happens when the salt becomes foolish? What happens when we, when we turn from the very things in the Beatitudes, the very things that make us unique and stand out in a way that brings healing to people around us or conviction? What happens when it becomes foolish? Now, in the first century, uh, uh, salt from the Dead Sea, and I, I found out that the Dead Sea salt's not pure because it has gypsum mixed in. And if, if it got wet and the thing... And, if a lot of certain things happen, the salt could wash out, you'd have gypsum. And gypsum, that, that wouldn't taste good at all. It's not salt. And, and they probably knew that's what Jesus was referring to. Um, how do we lose our flavor? How do we lose our saltiness, our spiritual saltiness? How do we lose it? Jesus said this in another parable. Remember the parable of the soils? The seed is planted. Well, what robs us of the seed that's planted in us? Do you remember? He said problems, persecutions, worries, worries of life, worries of getting this or that. Uh, he, 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 not, only, not only that, but just, just the preoccupations. And so all this can rob us because every day there are things that distract us from our number one need. You know what our number one need is? Is Jesus. Jesus is what calls that salt. I came across this quote. I just love Sarah Young. Uh, she's written that Jesus always, Jesus calling. There's other books. And she re- uh, writes from a perspective of, of like Jesus speaking. And she says, this is just a literary thing. You know, she knows she's not Jesus. But in her book, I read this. Okay, what is a meaningful life? She didn't say it. I'm asking that question. She said, the fact that I am with you makes every moment of your life meaningful. 
See, our life is meaningful even if we get sick and we can't do what we used to do. We can't, we can't uh, uh, people who are shut in and they feel like, I'm just so useless, I, I don't have money to give the church anymore, I can't, I can't do what I did, I can't volunteer. <clears throat> but see, I say, I say this, the fact that Jesus is in you makes every moment of our lives meaningful. Okay, the second thing. He says, you are the light of the world. So salt is intrinsic, but light is not intrinsic. It's something, <clears throat> something we do, something that, that shines. Now, light forever stands for good and safety, doesn't it? I mean, have you ever heard a kid come to you, oh, mommy, mommy, I'm so afraid of the light. Will you turn it off? No, I never heard of that. We all know that nobody is afraid of light. The only person afraid of light, of course, is Dracula. I learned that when I was a kid. And watched House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula, 1943, 1944, 1945, with uh, John Carradine and uh, Long Chaney Jr. Yeah, I found out Dracula doesn't like light. But people, we like light. And Jesus uses this metaphor of light. There's biblical references to light. And so what is Jesus telling us about this attribute of let your light shine? Not only are we called to make things better, but we're called to point others to Christ by how we live. A light points others to Christ how we live. And there's a communal aspect. Did you notice we in the West are also individualistic? We look at our faith as individual, and it is. <clears throat> but in the Eastern part of the world, it's much more communal, communal. And Jesus was speaking to a group, and the, and the example he uses of let your light shine was a city. <clears throat> the city lets its light shine. And we let our light shine as, a, as individuals, and the church lets its light shine as well. That's what God calls us to. Let your light shine. And now, and, and by the way, this doesn't appear anywhere else where he says, let your light shine, and that is the command. He says, let your light shine. Did you notice what he says? Don't make your light shine, because you can't make your light shine. You have to let your light shine. Just so happens I got a light. Look at that. I got a light. He says, let your light shine. Now, don't worry, this is not the... the the flashlight that burns through walls that I saw advertised on the internet. Have you seen that? That's not it. So if it shines on you, it won't burn a, a hole in your forehead or anything, okay? But he says, let your light shine, okay? Our light is shining. We don't turn our light on and off because Jesus is the light. He comes in our light. Our light shines, right? Our light shines. I won't shine it in your eye. Try not to. Our light shines. Well, why does he say, let your light shine? Because. Oh, you see it? You see it a little bit now, don't you? Well, what's happening? Let your light shine. Because what happens is, um, what happens is, there's things that come in our life that hinder the light of Christ from shining through this. And every day we struggle, we struggle with this, that, that uh, darkness is in our life, and, and we have to, and it gets in the way. Uh, and it blocks the light. Now, I came across the picture, and if you'll show it, and this will help in an example kind of way, maybe, if you'll, on this next slide, the picture, if it'll come up. And if it doesn't, I'll just explain. There, you see that? That's amazing. Now, I didn't put it up there just because my granddaughter, my youngest granddaughter, did that at, 
and when she was 12, she's 13 now. But I did this because of how they did it. <clears throat> if you're an artist, you'll know. They took a porcelain or, or I mean, a, 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 a metal, plastic, something. It was covered in black, covered in darkness. And all they did to make the picture is scratch out the darkness. You just scratch it out freehand and make something. Look at that. It's a bird. Beautiful. And, and I just have that up there to show you that, that when the Holy Spirit works in our life, as He scratches out the darkness, a beautiful picture emerges. We don't always know what it will be, but we know it will be beautiful. <clears throat> but we have to let the Holy Spirit do some scratching sometimes. But it's always good because darkness blocks the light. Now, um, to what purpose do we have this witness? Do you see what Jesus said? Let your light shine so that others can see the good works, so they will glorify God. And this is why I want to bring in what the Pharisees said. Can you imagine the shock when Jesus said, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven? And I'm sitting there on the hill. What? They do everything. How can I do more than the Pharisees? But they didn't. Because what the Pharisees did, they did their piety for their own glory. They did their piety. You know what? That's no good. That kills a light. Jesus says you do good works. You do good works so that why? That people will see your good works and glorify God. That's what God calls us to. All right. How do we keep the light shining? Can you do the last the verse before our song? Oh, yeah. This is in Luke. Now, no one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may use the light, see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, Jesus says, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no dark part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. What is Jesus saying? You know the song, be careful what your eyes will see. But it's not the physical eyes. It's our spiritual eyes. It's our mind. Our, what, we, uh, what we focus on, what we get, get uh, preoccupied with, all Jesus is saying is, attend to the means of grace and spiritual disciplines. And remember that I am in your life every moment. And we do that and our eyes will not grow in darkness. Now, after our communion hymn, we're going to have communion. And I just want, a communion is a great time for renewal. And if, uh, if maybe you feel like you've lost some of your spiritual saltiness, or maybe you feel like, you know, my light's been kind of dim lately, you can just ask God for help during communion. It's a time of renewal, of redemption, of forgiveness. So let's prepare our hearts for communion as we do our communion hymn, which is number 393. You can remain seated for that.
turn to your liturgy on page 13. Christ our Lord invites you to His table, all who love Him, who earnestly repent of their sins and seek to live in peace with one another. Join me in the confession and pardon. It may be a little different than up here, but that's all right. Page 12. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, and that proves God's love towards us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Now the great thanksgiving, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. And so, with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up. He took the bread. He broke it. He gave thanks. Gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup gave thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by His blood. By your Spirit make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at His heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen.
and now ushers will come forward. We have gluten-free bread. If you uh, need that, please tell the usher. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you and for many, feed upon him in your heart by faith.
the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Take and drink. Almighty God, we thank you for your table that you instituted and we thank you for your forgiveness. Amen. For our last hymn, we're only going to sing the one verse. We're not going to do the two extras. All right?